You got this. You got this. It's, got it's this. your first time. I mean, it's... Got it. You get nervous. You get nervous. Okay. Welcome to Words for Dinner, the podcast that serves up a steaming helping of literacy and offers it up to whoever is crazy enough to take a bite. I'm Max. And I'm Mike. This week, we bring you the Battle of the Bubbles, the Cola Conflict, the War of the Superior Waters, the Pop Soda Debate. We journey through the OED to see which one pops right. And which one popped up first? What's on your plate today, Max? Oh, boy. Well, I'm excited about this one. I'll tell you that. Uh, it's going to be great. Um, you know, I uh, I started collecting the coins uh, that are lying around my house. And, yeah. And, uh, you know, you have loose piles of change here and there. Particularly the pennies, which are like the bane of my existence. Like, you just have so many pennies and you want to use them, but it's like they're not enough to do anything. Um, so I started actually getting... This is the most grandma thing that I did this week, right? I walk downtown. I go into the dollar store, you know, which has many... This is a large dollar store. There's many aisles, right? Various things. I go to the back. I purchase a large bag full of those sleeves, those little, like, paper sleeves for coins, right? But I bought just a shitload of them. I come back to my house, and I just demolish all the... I just organized the hell out of all these things. Just pop, 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 pop. Just fill up those sleeves, right? And then I got them over there in the corner, and it just feels... I'll tell you what, it feels amazing. It feels great. Everywhere I look, no coins. There's no more coins just lying around. Instead, it's collected into valuable little piles. Each one is worth like 50 cents, 80 cents. The sleeve of quarters over there, you seen that shit? You see what coming in? You're walking up there. It's nice. It's got like two bucks in it. So I'm excited about that. What's on your plate, Michael? Well, this week, we teach Max <laughs> what it means to say what's on your plate. And that this is a podcast... <laughs> Mainly about words. But, you know, coins work too. Right, right? coins. The coin so, of the realm. Right? So how's your, how's your experience with words been this week? Uh, it's, been, it's been real good. You know, I'm looking forward to reading a little bit of Macbeth. I Ooh. am actually going to see the play uh, you may know, you listeners at home. It's called Macbeth. Or, uh, depending on your regional dialect, maybe Macbeth. Macbeth. Or... Muck Duff, right? I mean, that's a different character. It's different, it? yeah. So, I keep waiting for the sequel to Macbeth, which is, you know, the Macduff. When's that one coming out? Actually, uh, in all seriousness, I did see a trailer for a new movie that is coming out. It is the screen adaptation. Well, probably, you know, like, what, the third screen adaptation? The seventh? Whatever. Who knows how many screen adaptations there have been of Macbeth. Of, uh, Macbeth. Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this? No. Dude. You gotta check it out, man. It looks... I think it might be a Ridley Scott movie, actually. It looks... There's, like, some... Alright, let me... Just to paint the picture real quick. Like, you should check this trailer out. But it's, like, Fassbender... Use your words. Okay. Using words. He... Fassbender is just, like, emerging from a sort of mist of death. You know? He sort of, like, just looks badass. He's got the sword thing going. He's wearing chainmail. He looks emotionally bereft. 
you know, in an appropriately uh, uh, Shakespearean way. Yeah, he utters some of the lines that we all know, and he this he's just you know showing some good acting in his chops and stuff. No, but honestly, it looks visually really really stunning. It looks nice. like a, a good movie, so I'm excited about that. But I'm trying to read the actual play before I get in there, nice. so that I have the background. Have you never read the play before? I have, but it was in like you know ninth grade. Maybe. Oh wow, yeah, it was a long time ago. Did you, did you read any Shakespeare? Uh, I had to do it back in undergrad, so I think that that was earlier than ninth grade for me. But um, did you do it in undergrad as well? Is yeah. That what you're trying to say? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's been a while for me as well. Nice. What's uh, what, what have you been reading lately? What's uh... Uh, I've been trying to get through all the choice books for my students in the comics class, uh, but going through some really um, fascinating, really good books. Just opened up. A uh, book called Any Empire by Nate Powell, right? Okay. Visually, absolutely stunning right now. Nate Powell helped do the book March, which is a, the um, comic version of con- Congr- Congressman John Lewis's uh, experience in the Civil Rights Movement. So it's like interactions with MLK and whatever. This He's gotten a lot of press yeah, recently, right? But Nate Powell did a book, I think before that, it was called Any Empire, and it's about kids... Um, it's about one kid specifically who is like kind of dealing with his, a military family that moves around a lot and they're in this area. And then I think later on in the book, as adults, these kids that are the main characters come back. But visually, it's like incredibly beautiful right now. Like it's just, it's really good and like the transitions are gorgeous and whatever. Um, but the uh, book that I really got really excited and pumped for and that I'm thinking of writing a paper on, I'm thinking of doing a proposal for a conference on, yes, just very exciting, is a book called My Friend Dahmer by Durf Backdurf, right? (laughs) Yeah, no, no. His name, I think, I think the author's name is actually John Backdurf, is what his name is, right? But like, he he published the book under Durf Backdurf, right? (laughs) Which is what he writes... Wow. Comics under the name of, right? I think that's my favorite pseudonym ever. It's, it's pretty great. And it's about Jeffrey Dahmer, but Backdurf was friends with Gen- Jeffrey Dahmer in high school. So that's true. That's, it's that's a true, true story, right? So this is a memoir, of, uh, part memoir, part like just kind of nonfiction, of Backdurf's interactions with Jeffrey Dahmer, right? And it is intensely good, right? The art is something that I don't necessarily uh, get inspired by as much, right? It's not as, like, visually unique, right? It's not very busy, which is the other type of art that kind of throws me off, like, very, like a lot of things going on. But um, he has, like, all of his, like, bodies look kind of the same, right? But it, it's very much inspired by underground comics and alternative comics, and it has a very distinct style. Um, so I suggest picking it up, just taking a look at, like, some of the uh, art within the book, right? This is a graphic novel. Yeah, it's a graphic novel. Um, and the, the art, you know, art's cool, but it pulled me in, man. I mean, the story's great. It has a clear argument in it, right? He's got sources in the back. He took all the... Like, he did tons of research on it, right? He he re, um, he read all, like, these interviews and listened to all these interviews with uh, Jeffrey Dahmer, talked to all these people that were related to Jeffrey Dahmer. Sounds really His father, like, all these things, right? Super fascinating, super interesting. His argument basically is at one point in the book... Where are all the parents? And basically, Jeffrey Dahmer becomes Jeffrey Dahmer because 
parents don't do anything. Though, what's very interesting about this is the thing that like I'm super attached to. That's his argument in the book, but in the intro, he very clearly states he has no pity for Jeffrey Dahmer, right? Or not no pity. I'm sorry, no empathy. For Jeffrey Dahmer. So he doesn't want us to feel empathetic. He thinks that Dahmer is at fault for what he did, right? That Dahmer could have stopped himself or turned himself in after the first murder, right? Which he did do in Ohio before he moved to Wisconsin, right? Okay. And he thinks that Jeffrey Dahmer allowed himself to do that, and he's at fault. But somebody could have seen something beforehand when he was in high school. Or is there a possibility that he's just trying to protect himself from seeming like a Dahmer apologist? Mm-hmm. So there are a lot of those out there, right? Which is another interesting thing to kind of look into um, if you have the time. A dompologist. Which, no, there's a lot of people who are fans of Jeffrey Dahmer, right? And say that Jeffrey Dahmer is a product of a society that treats outcasts, people who think or act differently, like completely awful. And so I think you're right. I think Backdorf is setting himself against that because that seems kind of absurd, right? Jeffrey Dahmer is like the most notorious serial killer since, uh, the, what's the guy from Britain, right? Oh, uh, like Jack the Ripper. Since Jack the fucking Ripper, right? He killed like 17 or 18 people in Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Mutilated them, raped their dead bodies, oh like all God. these awful, terrible things. Oh like this is fucked up, right? Yeah. So this is a fucked up thing. Yeah. It's not. It's not positive. But dealing with him in high school is fascinating because yeah, like prior even to... even the interviews that Jeffrey Dahmer gave with everybody said that his last happy moments were in high school. So meaning that Backdurf, right, is kind of part of that, but they weren't even good friends, so it's so great. It's critical of, like, the, the author's critical of himself, he's critical of the society around himself, all these things, right? And there's just so many interesting coincidences of, like, when Jeffrey Dahmer did, performed his first murder, right, and, like, moments before that where he was going to murder somebody, but something happened that prevented him from doing so. Alright? And all these, like, it's just, it's so fascinating, it's so good, it's worth taking a look at, and it's something that I strongly suggest right now. And I know that's something that we've talked about, like, leaving to a, uh, like, a dessert-like thing later on, but it's just, like, the only thing, really, that I've read lately that has really inspired me a lot. Uh, One thing that I, that this reminds me of is uh, there are a couple... uh, quick books that I'll mention that I are on my list that mm. I have not read. Uh, in doing the research for today's episode, I did okay. stumble across a couple that really caught my interest. One of those is a, called A Nation of Outsiders, How the White Middle Class Fell in Love with Rebellion in Whoa. Post-War America. It's by a historian named Grace Elizabeth Hale, who's a professor of history and American studies at the University of Virginia. Um, that one is really interesting, and um, yeah, I think there's a there's a, maybe something else here that I need to take a look at. But the, oh yeah, that's right. Here's the other one, uh, and this, these are both nonfiction books, so that's interesting. I tend to like try to read more fiction than nonfiction, but this other book is a, another nonfiction one called "Cocaine: An Unauthorized Biography" by Dominic Streetfield. So that one uh, also is on my list, and uh, you will see why these topics are related. So maybe we should uh, get to the we cut to the chase here. Maybe we should uh, dig in, get to dinner. Come on, baby, let's, let's do it. Let's get to dinner.
on last week's episode or the last episode that we did, we talked uh, or brought up jokingly the idea of soda versus pop, right? I, Michael, am from the Midwest, and we correctly deem a carbonated beverage pop. Whoa, 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 whoa. First of all, I will represent all of our, uh, you know, the uh, staunch, uh, uh, stuffy... Uh, Darwin fish bumper sticker driving, uh, <laughs> espresso drinking, you know, a flock of seagulls having liberals in the New England Middle Atlantic states. Wow, who uh, tend to say soda instead. So we do have a neat dividing line here on the uh, podcast today, dividing these two regional uh, terms. Yeah, so. Let's have the Oxford English Dictionary, right? Our buddy. The pinnacle of research knowledge when it comes to words, euphemisms, phrases, colloquialisms, rare usage of words. The sweet, delicious, sugary, effervescent fountain of knowledge. Let's have them decide. Maxwell. Even though that's not your real name. Anyway, so I did look up... Both soda and pop. I did soda first because we are right now on the East Coast. Soda is what I've been transitioning to in the last five years, trying to call carbonated beverages that. It's been difficult. It's been hard. I often get made fun of for this. Do you sometimes fail? I do. I do sometimes fail. Uh, But the worst thing, the thing that embarrasses me the most, is when I'm on the phone with my father and and I say soda. And he says, it's not soda, Michael. It's pop. And he calls me Michael, right? It's like using that full name where he's ashamed of how far gone I, I've become. It's a sad story. Yeah, and he feels distant from me. Familial I mean, discord. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a serious... It's a, it's a moment. It's a moment. Yeah. But I started with soda, right? Uh, and be, soda has a ton of definitions to it. So right? many. Uh, so many. There are three main definitions to soda here, right? Um, the the first being the most popular, the actual definition or the primary definition of it is alkaline substance original, uh, obtained originally from the ashes of certain marine or other salt-impregnated plants and now manufactured artificially from common salt or occurring in a mineral state as a deposit in lakes. Or in solution of water of lakes, used largely in commerce, in the manufacture of glass and soap, <laughs> soda ash, and sodium carbonate. So, like, soda's like a legit, actual, scientific thing, right, that exists. But, in that first definition, right, you go one page in. Yeah. You go one page in, okay. right? And the fourth definition we get is soda water. So, fourth A and fourth B... Soda water or a glass or drink of soda water, also an ice cream soda. Both things not actually what we deem as soda yet, right? Soda water, 1834, make him sit down, give him some Hawken soda. Right, right? that was from so, J.R. Planchet. Yeah, so we're talking about like soda water probably just being either mineral water, most likely mineral water, or soda water being just carbonated water. Or a ice cream soda, literally. I guess like an ice cream float. Oh, like, I sounds don't know. delicious. 
Yeah. That's kind of weird that they even uh, had ice cream sodas in what the... Uh, well, I guess that, that definition, ice cream soda, the earliest uh, entry there is by uh, E. O'Neill from a book called Ah Wilderness. Quote, ever drink anything besides sodas? Um, and then in 1962, A. Lurie, quote, vanilla sodas with strawberry ice cream. Maybe that's the, uh, the uh, first mention of the ice cream soda. Uh, definition. Yeah. That's 1962. So I yeah. guess that isn't too much longer. So you know, later on, we're going to get to the actual use of soda as as a term for what we did, carbonated beverage. You know, that sweet carbonated cold beverage, right? Delicious. Yeah, just on yeah. a summer day kind of thing. You know, refreshing. Yeah, refreshing. We're going to get to that. But first, there's a giant list of compound words, <laughs> and what I would like to do now, right, as as a treat for our readers, sip from who have who have sipped from our Absurdity for at least an episode and 25 minutes, right? Uh, to go back and forth and just say literally all of the compounds <laughs> that are here. So I'll start, then you go, and we're just going to go back and forth until we hit one that actually says what we have here, right? So soda bath. Soda compound. Soda crystals. Soda flame. Soda lime. Soda pan. Soda pill. Soda plain. Soda salt. Soda soap. Soda carbonate. Soda muriate. Soda tartrate. Soda developer. Soda development. Soda pyro. Soda solution. Soda chapped. Soda acid. Soda ash. Soda cellulose. Soda glass. Soda lake. Soda lime glass. Good multiple (laughs) connections. Soda lye. Soda paper. Soda prairie. Soda feldspar. Are these just a bunch of minerals? Like, what's (laughs) going on? I think so, man. It's great. We got one, no, two, we're still going. We, we got just... several more pages. Can we go to this page? No, no, we gotta keep going. <laughs> okay, shit. Soda spodamine. <laughs> soda granitic. Soda biscuit. Oh, I love soda. That one's good. Yeah, that's soda good. bread. Soda cake. Soda cocktail. Soda cracker. Mmm, yeah. And soda fritter. Oh, there's so many more still coming up. But I did want to stop with soda fritter because it is great. There's literally one mention of soda fritter that OED can find. Uh, from 1837, in the morning, baked soda biscuit and fried soda fritters. M.R. Walker, in her diary, in C.M. Drury's, Elkanah and Mary Walker. The interesting thing, sometimes OED does this where like you can see the dates, 1837... Uh, but there's a later date from a second book. I guess that's a different... So it first appears in M.R. Walker's diary in 1837, but then C.M. Drury's book in 1940. So C.R.M. Uh, Drury must have found the diary and published it in 1940. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So 1837, right? Almost a 200-year-old word. We have to bring back soda fritters. Bring it back hard. I can't even really. I don't really know what that means. I don't know either. It, there's no definition here. Is it like we water need to bring crackers? It back. Maybe. No, I don't know either. We need to bring it back. Okay. okay. I'm, I'm excited. Mm-hmm. Next word. Soda mint. Soda powder. Soda scone. Soda bottle. And soda clerk. We're getting there. That's We're close. getting closer, yeah, right? Getting closer. We're getting closer to what we actually want to be talking about sure, here. Sure. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, soda clerk only in Australia, right? Uh, the soda clerks, cops, the struggling young theater people. I'm assuming 1941 has got to mean the same thing as the next word we're going to be coming to. Yeah, soda soda clerk. jerk. Oh, the soda jerk. Uh, soda counter, 
Right. Soda fountain. Yeah, there's the soda and then, jerk. And then we got soda jerk, right? And a soda jerker. <laughs> oh, my God. Look at this. There's oh, that's a soda jerker. That's Ooh. a noun. <laughs> one who mixes. Oh, look at this. Look at Okay, sells soft drinks. <laughs> we got, i got to read this one. All right. Yeah. This term, soda jerker, is a noun which the OED finds appearing for the first time in 1883 in G.W. Peck's book, Grocery Man and Peck's Bad Boy. Oh, yeah. Quote, a sensitive soda jerker feels that it is worse than three-card Monty. I don't know what it refers to. They tend to just have one sentence. This is a little out of context, but it does sound a little weird there, doesn't it? Oh, P.G. Wodehouse using this term, too. Okay, so soda jerker. That is a uh, one who mixes and sells soft drinks. Norman Mailer uses it, too. Admins for myself. The soda jerker from some outside compulsion have been forced to grow a beer. You know, you know the, my first rule of thumb is when I'm going to the local, local soda fountain mm, and I'm looking course. to uh, indulge in a pop or a soda, or a soda pop, Either I am thinking, man, I hope this person, if he has a beard, is wearing a beard net mm-hmm. or some sort of facial hair containment device. And that's what Norman Miller's talking about there. You know, This is about hygiene. It this is. is about keeping it, it real. Very much so. You, know, you don't want to be a jerk. Right? Am I right, people? Yeah. yeah. So one thing that I did find interesting, right? When talking about soda pop, what comes first? What term seems to be like the most present? There seems to be a lot of soda-related jobs, right? Soda counter, soda jerk, soda clerk, right? Mm. Or like things related to the consumption slash the like, selling of the the soda or the pop, right? And mm-hmm. Soda Counter has 1846. Mm-hmm. He went up to the soda counter and reckoned they'd take a little whiskey, which is hilarious that they're serving whiskey at a soda counter, yeah. which, which I think this is the time to say, like, part of the history of carbonated beverages, right, is that they don't initially differentiate between alcoholic and non-alcoholic drinks. Fun fact, apple cider, real apple cider, if you do not chill it... Hard cider. No, regular, oh, regular. unhard virgin apple cider. cider virgin know. apple cider. If you do not chill apple cider, right, like real true apple cider, in a couple hours it ferments and turns into hard apple cider. You know why? That's because... The apple just wants to have a party, man. You can't contain or prevent your apples from having a party. If they want to just... You leave them alone. They start a party by themselves. That's what I'm saying. You know, some but, apples, some farmers, they walk down the aisles and they're like, who wants the party? Who wants the party? And that's when those apples start falling off the branches. You know what I'm saying? So, I don't know why the one of the books that I looked at, which talks about making sodas, right? Or making carbonated beverages at home. Why it had that little tidbit. It had something to do with ferma- uh, fermentation different than carbonation, but they're close. Like, you know, whatever. They're very complicated stuff that we don't have time to get into. Or do we? Anyway, so... Uh, Dude, let but, me interrupt real quick. Yeah. I'm going to come back to this later, so okay, we should talk about this more, because there's okay. a moment that I'm going to talk about, uh, I hope to talk about alcohol, alcohol in 
beverages and, and there's a, a relationship with this discussion okay good I'm, I'm excited about yeah. that but we have soda counter right used pretty early same thing with soda fountain which comes even before that 1824 right in Boston the Interpen- independent chronicle this luxury in a hot and dusty season together with an ever flowing soda fountain he flatters himself will ensure a continuance of public patronage, right? Already knowing that the soda's where the money is, right? Wow, that's where that money's at. Yep. Look at that. And so a ton of examples of soda fountain being used, or soda yeah. font, or fount, right? So we got a soda jerk, soda jerker. I do want to make a shout-out real fast to my brother, right? Uh, my Don't do brother, that. Don't worry. I got to give him a shout-out oh, here. No. And this is why my brother's first job on his... Uh, W-2, when it would come back and it said, what is your title, right? Which ours, like, we are professors, but it says part-time lecturer, right? It doesn't say right. adjunct faculty. That's really we're in a different are. place, yeah. adjunct faculty. Sure. Whatever, right? There's we're special English terms, jerks. Right? My brother's first job was at a Dairy Queen, right? He worked slinging ice cream, right, to rich kids in a Chicago suburb, all right? <laughs> His technical term was soda jerk. Wow. In the 2010s. And where was And before. In Chicago. But Dairy Queen, all over, they're called Soda Jerks. Technically, on their their job title. There's a little retro vibe at your DQs, you know? We were talking about DQ earlier this week. There's a little bit of that uh, sort of vintage flavor that you might get uh, when you look at the the sign. It's got that sort of old school font, kind of like Coca-Cola might Mm -hmm. have, you know? I like the We're old school You're very line. excited about talking about Coca-Cola. I'm pretty, I'm pretty excited. For it. But we finally, after all that time, after all the compounds in which soda comes in, we get to soda pop. Flavored soda water. Right? First time that this term gets used according to OED, 1863, Walt Whitman. Wow. Daybooks and notebooks, the continual soda pop-like burstings of members calling Mr. Speaker, Mr. Speaker. Wow. So So, Walt Whitman coined this term, as far as we can tell. Yeah. So it obviously must have been used beforehand because he's using it as a metaphor, right? Mm -hmm. He's saying that it's soda pop-like, right? Yeah. So it must be a common... Phrase. In common usage, at least around where he is. So he just codified it in writing for the first yes. time. So it's the first time that soda pops used it, which is great. A hundred years later, right, the next like major use of it, I guess, which is in 1963 in The Listener, February of 1963, the man who drove the soda pop lorry. Mm. So that just seems general, like, you obviously know what this is. Looks like soda is one is the is old, right? Yeah, At least old. the word soda that's is old. pretty old, right? Yeah. Um, and then obviously, as it, we did with podcasting before, and as I'm sure we'll do with other ones, the obsolete meanings of the word soda are beautiful, absolutely yeah, beautiful. Yeah, we nice. have we have two different ones. I'm yeah. not sh- uh, the first being. Obsolete and rare definition, a form of indigestion and heartburn. That which actually is, says it comes from the modern Latin uh, soda. Oh, and, and I'm sorry. It was actually never adopted in English use. 
according to the OED. That's so funny. Oh, my God. That brings us to pop. Yeah. Right? Do you wanna you wanna take over talk a little yeah, bit? Yeah, let's let's look at pop. So we got this this word soda pop. We mm-hmm. got soda. We got pop. At some point they diverge, right? They At have some to. point the uh, Americans everywhere we decide to take to choose sides. We pick teams. Think of gym class in sixth grade when you're standing at the back and like Bobby, the uh, the, the the budding jock of your class, is the captain. Of course, everybody hates Bobby. Uh, but Bobby loves himself, and he's there to pick uh, who's going to be on his team. And whoever gets picked for the team is obviously a cool kid. Well, you know, uh, the other team is Pop, and uh, Bobby's team is uh, is clearly uh, Soda, or vice versa. And that's sort of like it's sort of like a popularity contest. That's how I feel about this. But anyway, so bef- this, before we get to that divergence, we're, we got to look at each piece. So we just covered Soda, right? We just covered how far back that goes. Goes back to 1863, right? Okay, so we got pop now. Obviously, this is a word that does go back farther because it's got s- certain other connotations besides the mineral that soda has. So we got the first definition is a blow, a knock, or a punch, a slight rap or tap. Uh, you know, and that goes all the way back to the 1400s. So you know, that's pretty clear. Uh, we got a hu- that also means a humorous remark. That's an obsolete definition. So you know, if next time you come up with a good pun, I'll be like, oh, that was a nice pop. It'll be like that doesn't. That's not how we use that word. A famous old poet, by the way, is the first use, uh, circa fifteen forty, uh, skeleton, mm. right? Uh, with your Mary Pops, right? <laughs> Meaning like a joke, which is pretty great, yeah. right? I love when words when poets invent words, right? Which I'm sure we're gonna see as we keep going through. Like you know, we have Walt Whitman already. We have skeleton. Like we said, Norman Mailer. Uh, before using soda jerker, right? I'm sure we're gonna see this pop up a lot, but it's just so much fun when things, yeah, you see what I did? When we see things uh, that are from really f- like famous people, and we realize, oh, like this word is still in our vernacular. Right? Yeah, like Walt so Women. We just yeah, we just classic. saw with Walt Women. Yeah. Here we go with uh, Skelton making that uh, obsolete uh, usage of pop. He actually pluralizes it and spells it P O P P E S, which means jokes. Uh, and then in the the third definition is we have the first appearance of the pop fly in baseball. Isn't that interesting? It's in the Boston Daily Globe in 1884. And that's where that first pops up. <laughs> right? That's uh, what we did there. There you go. So then we got the pop fly. We got a short, abrupt, explosive sound. That's another definition uh, dating from the 1500s. We have an, a regional English term that says the length. This is a definition that's interesting. The length of time taken by a pop. A moment or an instant. Uh, we also have the rapid opening of a pop valve, the steam pressure at which a pop valve is set to open. So these are sort of all related to onomatopoeia, right? The sound, the sudden like sort of burst that you get when you open a, open a, a bottle or something like that. Uh, or shoot a gun. The next definition is slang term for a pistol. So a pop is the noun form for a pistol. In the Caribbean, it's often used to mean several winter cherries. That's weird. Uh, also a very old term. So then the next one is a colloquial term that we're interested in. Do you want to talk about that one? Uh, I mean, you, you can go right ahead. I mean, you can give it to me. Because it's going to get real right now. It's going to get serious. Yeah. Right? I'm ready. As a colloquialism, meaning an effervescent or carbonated drink, originally ginger beer or champagne, champagne for those who champagne. don't understand my... Uh, 
delicate Chicago palate, in. <laughs> right? Right. Uh, now, usually a non-alcoholic fizzy drink, right? Let me start with first the sentence and work backwards to the date. A new manufactory of a nectar between soda water and ginger beer and called pop because pop goes to the cork when it is drawn. It is from the selection of letters from R. Southey. 1812. 1812. Let me remind the jury that soda pop, 1863. That's right. So we now, so pop, but the first use of pop, I see what this is about. You guys are trying to score some points for your team by saying that pop in this definition goes back farther. All I'm saying is that it goes back farther. Oh, that's all I'm saying. All I'm saying. 1812, man. That's a long time ago. Right? Now, here's the interesting thing. Here's the interesting thing. This sentence clearly has the phrase soda water. Correct? Yeah, it does. Right? In the definition of soda water for OED, it says that the first time soda water was used, 1834. Yeah, which is... Which which wouldn't make sense. It had to be before that. 20 years later. Yeah, Yeah, it had to be be before that. Yeah. Yeah. On the Wikipedia page for names for soft drinks in the United States. Yeah. You too at home can look this up. But there's a there's a nice little uh, easy to read uh, table here and it's organized by date and the earliest appearance of a word using any of these forms is soda water and it says 1798. There you go. So this is Wikipedia. I think the OED is more credible, but at the same time we do have that term which is listed and, here. And to be fair, before 1812, we also don't have the definition of soda water with us, right? I yeah. didn't look up that. I just looked up the word soda and the word pop and kind of went off that, right? So, I mean, if you find something with soda water, that's great. But we have 1812 with pop. So that means that the hyphen of soda pop comes from the word soda and water, not a divergence of the word soda pop, right? Meaning that what we call, when we say soda pop now to try and be the in-between of the words pop and soda, actually... Soda pop was created by them being separate before. So soda pop they each evolved works. independently. I mean. Yeah, they each it must have evolved independently yeah. and then come together yeah. to actually form the word soda pop right. in reference to you know the sweet carbonated beverage, which is fascinating, right? Now usually you'd see a word maybe like split up, but instead here we see the like the unification of it, right? I mean that seems to make sense because of the hyphen in there or mm-hmm. whatever, but mm-hmm. still. It's an interesting. It's an interesting thing. Yeah. You think they'd go from soda water to soda pop, right, or right. to soda sweet, like sweet soda or yeah. something like that? But it seems not to be. But the it, case. it seems like they just sort of bumped into each other hundreds of years down the road. From they just were like, ah, oh, wait a second, we mean the same thing. Oh, holy crap! <laughs> oh my god, this is embarrassing. You know, you ever go to the, you ever go to the uh, office Christmas party and realize you and Doris are wearing the same sweater? Oh, the that's worst. exactly that is a perfect analogy for this. This is exactly what's going on here. Soda and pop, and they uh, each are wearing the same sweater, they walk into the same party, and it's an awkward moment. That's what happens. That hilarious. is what I'm going with here. You're ridiculous. You know? So anyway, ridiculous. in the meantime, I did find out the definition of soda water here. It says uh, soda pop. 
<laughs> yeah, so this is funny because that's Merriam-Webster, right? So that's yeah. just a current modern day definition. So obviously that's what it means. But the first definition is a little bit more specific, and that says an effervescent beverage. Yeah. That means the bubbles. Mm-hmm. Uh, consisting of water charged with carbon dioxide. So it just it means anything with carbonation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's what, so, so it, you know, this is another aspect of this that we haven't looked into. And really, honestly, we could spend 17 episodes on this topic because <laughs> there's so many things to look at. There's the chemical uh, side of, of things. That's true. Like, how does this develop from alkali? I noticed alkaline and alkali uh, qualities appearing a lot here, which yeah. really is just a term that has to do with an, a base that mm-hmm. is associated with salts, naturally occurring salts. Uh, so lime, lye and lime and stuff like that. Um uh, ocean, old ocean beds and lake beds, which is where alkali sort of appears naturally. This is uh, one of the terms that was associated with soda from an early age. So there's that. Um, and we could pursue that. There's the etymology of it, but I think we're more concerned with the etymology of it than anything else. There's the cultural aspects, right? Because this is a regional dialect, so this is really all about culture, too. Um, we could look at the uh, sociology of this and look at the population migrations that are occurring. You know, the great migrations of the 1900s probably affected this a great deal because we're going to get to that map. We've got to talk about that map maybe. Of course. Right, next. You know, maybe probably. we should look and talk about the map because I'm thinking about where populations in the United States moved over time and mm. you, get, you can see visually, thanks to these maps that we found online, who says pop and who says soda. And it's pretty interesting because you see this like large swaths of one color, yeah. And then there's single areas that pop up, you might say, mm-hmm. that are uh, you know speaking a different word. Yeah. So I think that's interesting because I think that we started this conversation with the idea of soda and pop being the two choices that we have. But I was also a little forgetful. Um, and that that map, that interactive map, which hopefully we'll be able to put up. Uh, somewhere, right? Uh, a link to that. If we can't, popversussoda.com has the map in which you can actually vote and become part of that thing. It's just a website cool. which is literally just you add your name in, what county you live in, what you say it, and it adds gets added to the data immediately, which is fascinating, right? But Sweet. Yeah, literally. Huh. Anyway, so, uh, but we're forgetting one term in this battle of the names, which is Coke, you know, and this is something that I found very interesting, which is I actually grew up with my dad fighting between saying Coke and pop because my father often drank Coca-Cola above Pepsi, right? Mm. becomes a product thing, and you're going to get much more into that in a second, which I'm excited about. But we do have the regions in which they say different things, right? Which Which it seems like the East Coast... In some other parts of the West Coast, right, uh, say soda the most, right? Uh, we have a large swath across the middle of the country and the, the northern west, right, that's a pop, right? Uh, and then a lot of the south that seems to say Coke, uh, meaning all the same thing, a sweet carbonated beverage. And I think that that's really, really fascinating, right? Um, that most of that space, right, in the actual amount of space seems to be pop. Pop seems to cover the most amount. Now, population-wise, actually probably not. Population is probably soda. Because if you notice, it's California, Florida, 
and most of the East Coast, right? Highly populated, very dense areas. And a little outlier, which is fascinating about these maps as well, the map on poppinsoda.com, and you can find many of these different maps. A quick Google search brings up like four or five different maps that you can actually mm-hmm. use. Mm-hmm. Some that are interactive, some not. Some that get really specific. But the poppinsoda.com, or popversussoda.com, actually separates it by county. So what's fascinating about that is that, for example, like the uh, like some of the maps that we've seen, Chicago, where I'm from, calls it pop, but Milwaukee, a short drive, an hour drive uh, from Chicago, depending where you are in Chicago, right? But an hour drive, a little, maybe a little bit more. Um, that call they call it soda. They're just like this island. Now you're from Chicago, yeah, and they say pop, right? In mm-hmm. Chicago, they do. Everybody you know. Not not everybody. So some people do say soda, right? Really? So what's fascinating? Do they about, get ostracized? Do you pelt them with snowballs in the summer and July? They walk down the street, you throw an ice ball in their face. So when it is July and it is snowing in July in Chicago, um, we do pelt people with ice, but that's just because you guys are that's cruel. that's that's Chicago so nice, up, right? For yeah, the, I mean like, the, that's what it is because the, the winter real is world. coming, right? Yeah, that's what you do. Well, winter is always coming, right? And and when it's winter. We say construction is coming, right? That is, the, okay. those are our two seasons in Chicago. It's sort of like the movie Three Hundred, you know, like how yes. they release the the boys when they're like seven years old into the wilderness to like raise wolves and stuff yes. like that. Except what in Chicago, what That's we Chicago. do, right? We release our eight year olds into, into the, the winter, the deep right? dish pizza. So like <laughs> January, right? We give them a coupon to Giordano's. <laughs> Yeah. Or Lil Malnati's, depending right. where you are, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. You give them a coupon there, right? Okay. It's not even actually for a free pizza, no, right? No. It's just a discount on a pizza, right. Just, right? You have to, you have to like literally rob someone or beg for the money we, to we, make the discount. We give them a snowsuit, right? The coupon, yeah. a hat, yeah. sandals with socks. Oh yeah, nice. <laughs> and an ice scraper, suspenders. No, no it's a, it's like a full on okay. s- snowsuit. Now, do you give them a coupon or do you give them a coupon? Uh, both. Yeah, both. Okay. Or, or either, whichever or either, one sure. makes sense to you. Sure. So we do that. <laughs> we send them out with the ice scraper, yeah. and they have to find a way to make the money to buy the pizza to survive. Right. When they come home with leftovers, yeah. with a doggy bag. Mm. They can stay. They're accepted. Then, when the the they, they have to fight the off child, the horde of others. In I the mean, process, it's, I mean, all eight year olds do this. Walkers. It's January eighth every year. It is a holiday in Chicago. What? If you are a parent, what you get off from work. What January eighth every that? year? I swear to God. I swear to God. Is that just because every year January every 8th is, year is literally locked January eighth whiteout eight year olds <laughs> go into the snow to survive, right? I'm sure that I just there's... Wanna, I just want to recap, okay? I'm going to recap for the audience. This is what we learned so far in this last few minutes about Chicago, which has been fascinating. It is fascinating. Uh, who actually lives in Chicago, right? I mean, there's probably three people. That's about it. Michael's one of them. So, I don't know who the other and two I'm not people. there anymore. He's not even there anymore. So, it's two people now. But, uh, Chicago, a, uh, you know, frozen, post-apocalyptic wasteland where construction is only done sometimes out of the year, not all the months, and, uh, you know, the pizza's delicious. Well, anyway, regardless, this is how we're talking anyway, about now. Let's go we got off on a map, pretty hard tangent. Yeah. We were just talking about the map. That's where we got started talking about this yes. Chicago thing. North of Chicago is Milwaukee. 
Yeah. Right? So there's a red burst of color there on the map, which turns, which translates into a section of uh, soda, right? But it's a lone flash of color, of warmth, in a sea of blue, which corresponds with pop. Pop is uh, Indiana, the Great Lakes region, straight through the Great Plains. The Great Plains are, like, nice and blue. It's like this nice aquamarine mm-hmm. color. It's just like, oh, my God, it's not beautiful to look at. But then you start getting across the Rockies, especially into the Southwest. You get to like New Mexico, Arizona area. Definitely California starts to get red again, especially particularly like towards the coast, the Central Valley, California. It's bright red. You see that's uh, that's that soda area again. So yeah, like you said earlier, on the coast, New England, Middle Atlantic states, red. You get Miami, South Florida, most of Florida, red. West Coast, red. Although once you get north enough. Mm-hmm. In the West Coast, looks like Washington State pop comes back. Pop comes back, <laughs> so it's sort of dominating the North and uh, Great Plains of the United States. And then you have a third color, which is green. Mm-hmm. Green corresponds with Coke, right? Yes. So why you might ask, especially those of you who are listening from places that we just mentioned and not the South, what? Uh, why would we be talking about Coke right now? Well, I, I looked up, uh, in addition, I was thinking of other words, other ways to get into the soda pop controversy. And I thought cola, right? When we look at, at you know, what Coca-Cola and Pepsi are, those are colas and diet colas, right? And we want to kind of, like, explore that. I looked that up. It didn't give much. Right, it just had one of the definitions is a carbonated soft drink flavored with dry coca leaves, like literally what cola is. It's a specific soft drink, right, or a specific effervescent carbonated beverage, right? Um, or you know, so it comes from Pepsi Cola and Coca Cola, right? Uh, and 1887 seems to be the first mention of that. So that didn't really give much because I was thinking, oh, what if it's called cola first? Soda and pop become regionalisms out of that. It seems like soda or a, a variation of soda is kind of like the beginning. Soda water, something like that, or carbonated water or whatever. But then I looked up the word Coke, right? Mm-hmm. Because I was reminded that, like like we were saying earlier, that like my, my father calls like all cola or all carbonated beverages Coke at times, depending on where he is. And we did a lot of traveling when I was younger um, where we would go to places in the south. And it would be weird when we would be in Georgia, especially. I have distinct memories of Tennessee and Georgia stopping there, ordering drinks and saying, I'll have a pop, and them going, oh, you mean a Coke? And and my response going, no, I want a Sprite, right? And them going, like, oh, right, that Coke, is a yeah. Coke. That is a Coke. And, like, there being a lot of confusion there, right? A lot of things going on. And so I this, this came back to me as I was doing this research, this, like, flare of things and then the map brought that back too where it's like oh my god yes coke is the other we shouldn't ignore our southern brothers and sisters and those who don't identify in that binary system of uh gender identity right <laughs> those who live in the south and do that right sure. like, it's it's great so coke bringing sure. it in right and you seem to have done the most research on coke the most kind of in-depth conversation about it and i'm i am excited you've been teasing about it this whole podcast you teased me about it beforehand, so I'm just I'm just ready for the tease to be over and you to tell me tell me your story. Okay, Coke, right? So the interesting thing about Coke 
is this is the third head in the three-headed dragon that we've been discussing, right? We got this the chimera giant. of carbonated beverages. The, See what I'm uh, saying? The, the lion's head, the dragon's head, the goat's head. The wyvern head, mm, right? If you will. The, uh, you know, uh, the uh, Cerberus, uh, if you will. Um, just, now I'm just naming mythological, <laughs> mythological creatures. Uh, so the, uh, this is the third color on the map, which is uh, which is pretty much evenly distributed throughout the American South, right? It goes pretty much from, from uh, the Georgia um, through Tennessee, uh, you know, uh, Louisiana, uh, Missouri, into Texas. So this is where uh, probably the most uh, puzzling of the, th- of the three terms is used, though, as you just uh, described. There, uh, I could see this ca- could cause some confusion. You're like, you go into a restaurant in, let's say, you know, uh, Louisiana, maybe northern Louisiana, like the bayou or whatever, right? And you're like, hey, uh, I will have a uh, soda, please, uh, or right? And they're like, oh, or, or Coke, right, sorry. You're like, I'll have a Coke. And they're like, cool, and they, like, give you Sprite or something. And you're like, what is going on? So if you, if you want, like, I don't know, it just sounds confusing. So why is this happening? Well, this led me to wonder about Coke. The drink, the brand Coke, Coca-Cola, we should call it. And we should call it Coca-Cola so that it's clear, right? But I'm interested in Coca-Cola, and it actually, I started wondering, because of the etymology of these terms, looking in the OED, um, the first definition, which you mentioned a minute ago, refers to the cola nut, which I believe is from Western Tropical Africa. So the cola nut, or cola seed, is about the size of a chestnut. It is brownish and bitter is largely used for chewing as a condiment and digestive. It sounds delightful, to be honest. It sounds like it's got a nice, unique little flavor. So this is where the connection comes in. Uh, Coke, Coca-Cola. So we now know what the cola uh, stands for. In fact, that is where the cola and Coca-Cola comes from. It's the cola nut from West Africa. I wish I'd tasted it. Have you ever tasted a cola nut? I haven't either. I don't really know what it tastes like, but it's now on my list of to-do things. right? To-do. Eat a cola nut. So the Coke part, Coca-Cola, um, this is uh, widely seen as a uh, urban legend. The uh, description that I heard and that what stuck with me is that it stands for Coke as in cocaine. Uh, and uh, I always thought that was sort of like an urban legend. I always thought it was a myth. And it turns out, uh, you know, I feel dumb now because I looked it up and it is true. And in fact, it's true, which is crazy. Coca-Cola, the uh, soda pop, uh, the beverage... Um, was created with both those ingredients in it. Cola and uh, the cola nut and coke, the coca plant. And this is corroborated by a number of different sources, but it began in 1886. So that's when coke first was created, 1886. And if we look at the etymology of the terms that we've been looking at here, I mean, the first appearance in English of a reference to a cola nut is in 1795. Uh, the uh, And the carbonated soft drink entry in the OED Coca-Cola is marked in a, a, a newspaper in Atlanta, which is where it was invented. The Evening Journal, 1887, June of 1887, drank the brain tonic, an intellectual soda fountain beverage called Coca-Cola. So a couple of those words actually are pretty important to its definition, which I'll get to. The brain tonic thing. We often hear about traveling shows of the time period, like the late 1800s, Bartum and Bailey being one of the most famous ones wandering around and like selling these little weird tonics which they called tonics at the time which are sort of uh, these like sort of vaguely hoodoo sort of mystical uh, like um, medicinal potions right 
and this is how Coca-Cola was originally marketed by the man who invented it. It was a guy named John S. Pemberton. On the Coca-Cola website, he's called Doctor, and he's called an Atlanta pharmacist. What's interesting is that you look more into this, you sort of dig deeper into the Coca-Cola legacy. You see, uh, I found a pretty interesting article. It is by BuzzFeed. So BuzzFeed, of course, isn't always... Uh, the most reputable Reliable, place, man. but it is a, 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 the news uh, source for the modern day, right? This article on BuzzFeed says, the creator of Coke was a colonel in the Confederate Army. And that turns out this guy, Pemberton, was a Confederate uh, soldier. So he wasn't on the wrong side, he was on the wrong side of that battle, right? You know, <laughs> we're talking about the, uh, the modern day conflict between these two words. Well, you say pop, I say soda. This guy was on the wrong side of a much bigger conflict, right? Which I actually think is a very interesting, like, connection. Obviously not directly connected, but an interesting overlap that only really in the South, though not primarily, right? Not completely only, but primarily in the South they call it Coke, and the inventor of Coca-Cola was part of the Confederate, like, like a regional kind of purity or, or loyalty, right, to that to that term, which I think is really great. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, isn't that interesting? So like, we, we got that happening. Um, he, he was a Confederate guy, and he, he had a war wound, which got him addicted to a painkiller called morphine, which you're maybe familiar, uh, is the most notorious of all painkillers. So he's addicted to morphine. This guy, Pemberton, he's got a war wound, so he starts doing some amateur mixing. I, they call him a, a pharmacist on the Coca-Cola website. I think this guy was just a crazy old coot who was just in his basement, you know, in the backyard in Atlanta or whatever, just mixing whatever he could get his hands on, right? Who knows? Anyway, um, he sought a way to combat his addiction, and that's how he invented the precursor to Coca-Cola, which he called French Wine Coca, an ideal nerve tonic and health restorer and stimulant, uh, S. Pemberton. That was in 1885, Pemberton's French Wine Cola, Coca, a mix of Coca, Cola, Nut, and Damiana, which is a flowering shrub that has anti-anxiety and aphrodisiac qualities. So the time period, this all starts to come together, right? We've got 1885. That's right around the time that uh, soda and pop were both being used independently to mm-hmm. refer to sugary, maybe sweet, effervescent, bubbly, carbonated drinks. Yeah, and soda pop has already come into use at this time as well. Yeah, okay, so there you go. So we already have the combination mm-hmm. term in use. So, uh, ripe, you might say, time for this to happen. And the interest, the one other thing about where Coca-Cola comes from, we would like to think that this guy Pemberton invented this totally by himself. It's totally unique. In fact, it's not. He was just responding to a, a very popular drink at the time that was in Europe called um, Vin Marion, which means, uh, you know, Vin means wine. Mm-hmm. So there was a man, uh, there was another uh, amateur uh, sort of chemist guy, uh, named Angelo Mariani. He's from uh, Paris. He's a chemist. 1863, this guy, Angelo Mariani, he combined coca and wine and started selling it. And the interesting thing about coca and wine mixed together, alcohol and cocaine, is they say that uh, it creates, uh, when they when a cocaine and alcohol meet inside a person, they create a third unique drug called coca ethylene. And coca ethylene works like cocaine, but with more euphoria. This is obvious. People discover this guy, Angelo Mariani, discovers this. It obviously blows up. Everybody loves it. They think it's delicious, right? He starts selling it. 
Um, Jules Verne, Alexander Dumas, Arthur Conan Doyle were all people who were drinking this Vin Mariani and said, this stuff's pretty good. This is the funniest part. Pope Leo XIII reportedly carried a flask of it regularly and gave Mariani a medal for inventing it. So all that's... (laughs) (laughs) All that's happening. So this says, seeing this commercial success, Dr. John Stith Pemberton in Atlanta, himself a morphine addict following an injury in the Civil War, set out to make his own version. He called it Pemberton's French wine coca, marketed it as a panacea, meaning a solution to all ills. Among many fantastic claims, he called it, quote, a most wonderful invigorator of sexual organs. (laughs) So this is where the the Coca-Cola story starts to get interesting. Right after that... Uh, in uh, somewhere around that time period, Atlanta, uh, the, his county in Georgia, took on a local prohibition law. They passed a prohibition law, so alcohol became illegal. He had wine in it, so he couldn't do that anymore. So he removed the wine, and uh, not the cocaine, because wine was illegal at the time. Cocaine was not was legal. Yeah, yeah. So at this time in history, you could put coke in whatever you wanted, and that's why they kept doing it. So he made it more sugary. As a as a, uh, a response to the changing laws, uh, so he started calling it Coca Cola, the temperance drink, which is a word that was associated with so- sobriety at the time, right? So, <laughs> this is the part that uh, I found most interesting, right? This is the sort of the third step that I'll mention in the Coca Cola evolution. This is uh, right around the turn of the century. Coke starts getting bottled, and actually, I think it was one of the first drinks, soda pops, to get bottled. This happened in 1899, and it was being sold for a nickel at the time, right? Which is insanely cheap, right? But this allowed it to be sold this, uh, outside of segregated soda counters. This is during the time of Jim Jim Crow, so you have segregation in full effect, which is de facto, uh, you know, de facto uh, legal um, uh, at the time. So once you can buy it in a bottle wherever you are, wherever it starts crossing crossing the color line, it breaks through the segregation barrier. So. People of all different races and shapes and sizes are buying Coke, the drink, Coca-Cola, the drink. And that's where I noticed this, uh, this historian whose, whose name was uh, Hale, right? Her name was uh, uh, Grace Elizabeth Hale, who wrote a really interesting story for the New York Times about this, When Jim Crow Drank Coke. It's dated January 28, 2013. Yeah, so uh, she talks about how uh, the uh, Civil Rights era uh, and some other... Um, uh, important events during segregation during Jim Crow actually had overlaps with the evolution of Coca-Cola. The Coke part, when did Coke get dropped from Coca-Cola? Mm-hmm. Turns out around, uh, I think it was 1903, which is only seven years before the United States government finally bit the bullet and they were like, maybe we better stop allowing people to do Coke whenever they want. So, uh, But that time period, the first decade of the, that century, the 1900s, um, there was a massive amount of cocaine use going on among the American public. There was everybody was doing it, probably because everybody's drinking Coke and because there's Coke in it. But uh, you know, other people, famous people, are doing Coke. Remember Arthur Conan Doyle was mentioned, mm-hmm. like uh, Sherlock Holmes. He's got a snuff box. You ever read those stories? Oh, snuff. Right. He's always doing snuff. He's like open a little box. Yeah, Coke was a big thing. Everybody's doing Coke. So, of course, because of, uh, like, the racism that's ingrained in society at this time, middle-class white people are like, this is fine if I do this. But if African-American people do this, it is not okay. I'm afraid of them. This is a reason for me to uh, other them and to stereotype them. This is sort of interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, in 1903, Coke stops putting um, 
actual coca plant into its drinks. Uh, but the reason was actually because of this growing uh, racism that was associated with uh, what was perceived to be uh, wild, out-of-control cocaine use and addiction among African-American people. So white people are like, oh, well, we can't have this anymore. So it was basically used as a tool to subjugate um, African-American people because it was mm. like, well, it's perceived to be uh, their thing now, so we'll shut that down. Right. Even though it was widespread just among uh, white people as much as anyone else. So, Weird. yeah, so by 1903, Candler, that's the guy who was in charge of uh, Coke, had bowed to white fears and a wave of anti narcotics legislation, removing the cocaine, adding even more sugar and caffeine. So, that's probably where it approaches the taste of the modern day Coke beverage, right? Mm-hmm. It no longer has Coke, it no longer has booze, it maybe still has cola in it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, he said, this, this article is really interesting. Hale says, middle class whites worried that soft drinks were contributing to what they saw as exploding cocaine use among African Americans. Southern newspapers reported that, quote, Negro cocaine fiends, unquote, were raping white women, the police powerless to stop them. So, so that's an interesting part of Coca-Cola's history, right? Where mm-hmm. they can claim, on the one hand, of offering a inexpensive, a cheap soft drink. Right, a cheap, you know, carbonated beverage, you know, like a drink for all peoples, before Jim Crow, right? But then, in a few short years, four years of this, they get attacked by basically white supremacists yeah. who are saying, "No, no, no!" Right, four years, yeah, yeah, yeah. Before eighteen ninety nine, it wasn't bottled and it was sold only at uh, white only soda fountains, right? So then, for, between eighteen ninety nine, nineteen oh three. Uh, they were drinking it just like everybody else. <laughs> and the government and the president of Coke go, whoa, uh, that's not okay. And We're going to take the cocaine out of it. So what's fascinating about that is that, so it's obviously, like, very blatantly comes from racism. Yeah. But there's also this very interesting underlying idea of class differences as well, right? Yeah, yeah. That the middle class and the upper class should have the benefit yeah. of the of the the drink or of this like delicious thing while the lower classes shouldn't and at this time more like you know not more than now but like more explicitly than now the lower classes what white people deemed the lower classes were African Americans dude and I thought you would dig this I thought that you would, you would yeah. uh, like this there's one more th- uh, point to be made about this class thing which you're bringing up which is interesting that made me uh, note, uh, remember this so we rewind just a little bit with Pemberton, who died a little while after making this, obviously. Oh, yeah. A Confederate war vet with probably like an open wound in his fucking head or so. Who knows? He wasn't in good shape. He's addicted to morphine. He dies, right? But before he dies, he, was, he, he, saw, that, uh, he saw booze uh, criminalized. He took out the wine. Uh, so around 1886, that's when he took that out. And that's when the start, Coke started to take off, right? He says, at the time, this is Hale again. At the time, the soda fountains of Atlanta pharmacies had become fashionable gathering places for middle-class whites as an alternative to bars. Mixed with soda water, the drink quickly caught on as a quote-unquote intellectual beverage among well-off whites, which is so interesting because when you look at the OED definition of carbonated soft drink mm-hmm. under cola, right, the 1887 entry in the Atlanta Evening Journal says, drink the brain tonic and intellectual soda fountain beverage Coca-Cola. Mm. So it's real. It's literally that could easily be an ad for Coca-Cola from the time. 
that's their marketing language that they're talking about the intellectual soda fountain beverage that's fascinating right so this sort of the definition of cola and coke is naturally tied up with the with the product coca-cola which we've had since 1880s so the name of the word we can't even necessarily extricate it from the product. Yeah. And this is so interesting because cola is a word that exists before that. Same with soda. Cola is referring to a plant. Yeah. Coke referring to a plant. Different plants. Yeah, and soda comes before Coke. Pop even comes before Coke. Yeah. The term soda pop comes before Coke. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's fascinating that the youngster in this race, right? No. The youngest one is the is Coke yeah. is the, is using the brand name as the yeah. name of the thing, which is super interesting, man. Mm-hmm. And to to address something that you were saying earlier, where you said like that it might be very confusing. What happens is is that you go into a restaurant and you, they say, uh, "What can I get you to drink?" Right? Yeah. And you know, you say coffee, tea, soda, whatever, right? But like, if you say a Coke, they turn and say, "What kind of Coke?" So, so then you say a brand, right? Like, or you say, yeah. you know, like, oh, do you have Dr. Pepper or something like that? What kind right? of Coke? Yeah. So, like, it, it, it it's kind I mean, of it's just up your nose, man. <laughs> yeah. Right. Huh? It's just, but it's just also like that regionalism makes sense there, right? Yeah. So that people are familiar with it. But it's fascinating, right? Because so. Atlanta, Georgia, right? So that's the thing. This is maybe that's why you think mm-hmm. that's why it's called Coke down there is because like. That's the home turf of Pemberton, where the guy yeah, invented probably. it? Yeah, probably. Probably. And also, it makes sense. I mean, too, if we could also connect this real regionalism, and again, this isn't very academic, nor is it super intelligent on our on our end, right? But like, like a little <laughs> bit of speculation here, right? Yeah. Or at least connecting some dots. Yeah. Um, I feel like there could be an argument, or could be something, and I'd be interested in that book by what? What's the woman's name? Haley. The cocaine book. Yeah. Oh, or no, yeah. the wo- the woman Gail. Oh, yeah, yeah, Gail. Uh, Gail. Uh, her name again is her last name is Grace Gail? Elizabeth Hale. Okay, Hale. Okay, excuse me. Yeah. So Grace Elizabeth Hale. Yeah. So it's interesting in that in the book that Hale has, right? Yeah. Um, which is not the history of cocaine, but the other one that you mentioned yeah. earlier. That. Um, It'd be interesting to see if she has more insight yeah. on why Coke stays the name. Yeah. Because if you think of if you think of that history where yeah, you have why Jim not Crow stop calling a Coke. Well, Jim Crow is real strong in the South, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's very present there. I mean, obviously there are Jim Crow laws throughout the country, right? Yeah. And they're in like that reach is throughout, right? Yeah. And it's it's unreasonable to say that the North wasn't affected by that. No, no. But when we think of Jim Crow, like we think of the South, we think of a lot of violence related yeah. to that because yeah. that it did happen in yeah. the South a lot, or at least that's the story that we hear a lot. Yeah. Being from the North, me, Chicago, you, New Jersey, yeah. you know, we tend I to mean, like give the, a bad rap to the South right, more than. But it's like kind of. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it did. But, Everybody's got to own up. Yeah, but regard, regardless, and this is a little off topic. I mean, you, Eula Biss wrote uh, has a book. Eula Bliss. Uh, yeah, you, yeah, Eula. Abyss. Oh, it's Abyss? Yeah, B-I-S-S. Oh. Yeah. So she has a she's a book, and one of the uh, 
articles or the essays in, in her book is called Time and Distance Overcome, which literally is just uh, vignettes of different things that happen. And, and she oh, yeah. makes it a point to take uh, some news stories from the North, which are about racial violence, and, like, and it's about the use of telephone poles specifically, which is interesting. I suggest looking it up. If you haven't read that article, please do. She's brilliant and great. We read that in Goodman. Yes, we did. Yeah, I was so good. Yeah, so um, nice. So time and distance overcomes brilliant and great. Um, but you know, violence did happen in the north, and that's all I'm saying is that to re- like it's important to recognize that as a northerner, as a, like regional northerner, to recognize that the north is not perfect when it comes to racial relations and, and violence. Yeah. But regardless, so you have Jim Crow, real hot, real heavy in the mm-hmm. in the South, mm-hmm. and if they're putting pressure on Coca Cola, which is like this a southern thing, a southern brand, and they're putting pressure to stop the sale to African Americans, and then like they're making it a white, making it a middle class or eventually, most likely, a working-class mm. drink, mm. it makes sense that that would then become a a name for the drink. Because if you think about, like, when we need a tissue, we say Kleenex. You know, when yeah. we need, you know, different items, there's a lot of ones that do that, but, you know, we use brand names, or brand names become iconic or... Uh, sim- symbolic of the thing that they actually are, yeah. you know. They yeah, made. Right. And so it makes sense that that would happen. I, and that's like again, you know, a loose connection there. But it seems that with that fo- focus and like it being the hometown, Atlanta being in the South, yeah. it would make sense that it would transition to saying Coke. Yeah, and that's yeah. Just, just sort of the most ironic part of this is the is the racial element of Coca Cola, like you're yeah. saying, because like it's invented in the South by a Confederate guy. Yeah. Who then tries to market it to white people? Does so successfully. His uh, his successor is this guy Candler, who bottles it, eighteen ninety nine, and uh, it opens everybody. it up to yeah. everybody. And as soon as the white people see other people drinking this drink, they go, "Whoa, that's our drink. Let's shut that down." Which fundamentally changes the drink itself. Yeah, yeah, right? you're right. Which is what kind of what racism does to people, right? It sort of messes you up on your insides, like, right? And this is this is, I mean, like, uh, W. B. Du Bois and like um, a bunch of uh, famous writers have sort of addressed this. Mm. Sort of, it's a very abstract notion, right? Mm. But it's how like the uh, racism uh, distorts and and uh, and uh, mutilates the the person who who is being racist as well as the person who's the victim. But anyway, so not to get off topic, but. Yeah. Yeah. It makes sense that it was labeled intellectual, though. I mean, think yeah. about coffee as a stimulant, right? Which yeah. is just caffeine. I mean, that's if you think about like now, yeah. like what do intellectuals sit down and drink together, right? You can think it of wine coffee, yeah. or non-alcoholic drinks. I think coffee is a big one. I yeah, think coffee is, one, yeah. is, you know, primarily there or tea, and both have caffeine, right? Both have stimulants, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, like you're talking about Coca-Cola having. Right. A pretty strong stimulant in cocaine, yeah. and like that makes sense. Yeah, but that's fascinating. So, like this, and, I mean, the cola thing is a stimulant as well, right? Because if you look in the uh, on the first definition, I, I keep going back to that same yeah. thing. But in the OED, the cola nut, the, the, that first instance of it, its first mention in English is according to the OED in 1795. Um, cola is a famous fruit, highly esteemed by the natives, to which they attribute the same virtues as to Peruvian. And bark. That's an antiquated reference to cocaine. No, Peru. 
Right. Yeah. So like the you know Peru obviously isn't the only place where the coca plant grows, but South America you know this is where um, like the colonial culture just sort of lumped everybody together. So it could have been Peru, it could have been somewhere else. But this plant that a lot of natives would chew was coca. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that these things are all tied together in ways that we don't even know or we're not aware of even like. Yeah. So I think that to kind of summarize this, right, we have these terms and it seems to be wherever you want to kind of fall. I was hoping that at the end of it, pop would come out the victor. But it seems that even though pop, the word, comes earlier in 1812, it seems to come, soda is within that definition there, or soda water. So maybe not the term soda by itself, but the but the word soda was around beforehand, yeah. right? In, in either like the obsolete rare ones, which are super fun, yeah. or in <laughs> different words, right? Different meanings of it, yeah. which then eventually become soda water, which become carbonated water, basically. Yeah, yeah. And so soda seems to come first in quotations, yeah. where it's not ever used to refer to what we say soda is now. Pop seems to be the first thing that refers to what soda is now, but the word soda comes first. Because of that That, onomatopoeia. Yeah, Yeah, right? Yeah, of like that popping sound. It's fantastic when you, uh, you know, now um, I'm excited to go and get a soda and just like kind of listen to it a little. Because a lot (laughs) of the definitions, you know, this is just me getting excited about words, but a lot of the definitions for pop, like you said, have to do with onomatopoeia and that sound. That's so fascinating and so wonderful. Yeah. Um, and I'm thinking a lot about glass because soda has a lot to do with making glass. Yeah, and so like I just now I'm just thinking about like glass yeah, like in my bottles. soda. Oh no, like, this is just intense. Um, but yeah. so like that kind of competition, and then the term that we use to kind of come together, soda pop, right? Yeah. And then Coke kind of coming out after that. But I think that a key thing that I've taken away from this, right, is uh, not necessarily the differences between soda and pop and like that kind of regionalism, that kind of war back and forth. But that years after pop comes in, right, after 1812, in uh, eventually 1863 with Walt Women, or probably before that, we start referring to it as soda pop. We refer to it as both. So we take that, and then we've divided up after. I think that it's interesting, because I think this is an interesting thing to look back on and go, you know, once... Like, we were divided, right? Pop comes up as referring to the carbonated beverage, but soda water is a type of soda water, right? So you have them, and they come together as soda pop, and then we break them apart. We move one to the west and to the east and to Florida, right? We move, we keep the other one in the middle, right? Amber the s- waves of grit. Oh, sorry. Yeah, from sea to shining sea, oh, just bring it together. Yeah. Soda pop again. You and, know? dude, you know, like, just to, not till they get too... Uh, Sentimental here. I don't want this to turn into something that uh, Donald Trump would want to sponsor on his mm-hmm. uh, campaign. We oh, don't course, want to get too course. patriotic. But every regional group, if you were to go wander in as an outsider and yeah. start throwing around the wrong word for a soft drink, people are going to know what you mean. Yeah. They're going to think you're weird. Yes. They may not like you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're going to understand you because we're all Americans. So if you say Coke in the South and you mean something else, they're going to know. If you say pop, I'm sure this has happened. You probably, by mistake, Freudian slip, you know, you wander into a, you know, New York area White Castle. You're like, can I get a pop? They'll be like, 
Yeah, sure. And, and then they just and nail they me in the stay, face. Yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> they hopefully give you a soft drink. And if I were to wander into some, you know, Giordano's and say, "Hey, can I get a soda?" People would be like, "Listen, man, are you wearing enough layers? Because it is negative forty-five out. I'm going to need you to bundle up." Seriously, this isn't even about me. I'm just worried about you freezing to death. And I don't want to have a body in my restaurant. This is a Giordano's. We are a family establishment. Mm -hmm. We can't have dead bodies in here. Mm. Right? Unless there's... Is there humans in the pizza? uh, No, no, no. There's humans in the river. In the Chicago River. That's where we dump our That's why it's green, right? No, it's only... I mean, yes, it is green all the time. (laughs) Um, But it used to be greener, if that makes you feel better. Sure. Um, And actually, to be fair, they have actually removed the dead bodies from the Chicago Mm -hmm. River. It used to be that um, you could see floating dead bodies in the Chicago River back... Like, this is way back, right? Chicago River was a very dirty river um, that they've been trying to clean, and they're doing an okay job. But then every St. Patrick's Day, they literally just dump a bunch of, like, green goo in it to make it greener. It's very confusing. It's like the Return of the Ooze, or uh, Turtles 2, the second Turtles Yes, movie. yes. Uh, but I did want to mention just one last thing with relation to this, because we're closing it up, mm. that there, one of the books that was recommended for this was a book, um, if you go to the Wikipedia page, it's uh, the fourth source that it uses when it talks about regionalisms in, in relationship to soda and pop, like which one do you call it? And it's a source for a book that you can find on Amazon, you can read the introduction. The introduction has a pretty detailed history, Andrew Schloss, Homemade Soda. It is not a history book. It is a book, as the title suggests, about how to make homemade soda, right? And it talks about the regionalisms a little bit, but mainly the history of soda. And he never cites the sources. He never has bibliography. No fucking idea where this comes from. But he seems to be the only person that I could find that really does that. Um, And again, like if people know decent history books, books twenty eleven too. We should should hunt them down. Talk to him. Yeah, right? See where he got that information from, yeah. right? Like, do a special, like, no, I made special it up. episode. <laughs> yeah, just made it up. It sounded right. I was right. on my porch out back. I was mixing some things I found on the ground. It's just like... You know, and so History yeah. repeats itself. So, yeah. So, it'd be interesting... Uh, to see where those come from and if anybody knows uh, any of our listeners know any good sources on the history of soda right carbonated beverages soda pop or uh, any good books on the history of that conflict between the terms soda pop or coke right all would be very interesting for us to look uh, look into I mean you got from this two books that you're interested in reading yeah and I'm sure too our listeners know that like this is late at night this podcast <laughs> as opposed to the previous one we did because there's been a few times where yeah. both of us have just gone yeah. and yawned so uh, yeah. I apologize for that um, but I think this is a great show I think this is excited uh, next week do you have any ideas Max for what word you were we're thinking of having for dinner, or, or are you still I think, still looking up recipes? You know, just like uh, my mom used to, she used to surprise me with that. Uh, I would come home and she'd be like, it's meatloaf, or hey, we're having pizza. And I'd be like, hell yeah, I hope it's the pizza, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's best to keep your audience, your uh, your customers, your foodies, yes, on, on their toes, you might say, on their proverbial toes. So uh, we'll have to so just wait and see for you next time. All right, that sounds exciting. All right, uh, so thank you for listening to Words for Dinner uh, this week. We were brought to you by Air. It's what you breathe. 
Oh, and uh, I was my uh, my uh, pop and my soda were both brought to you by uh, the sun. It uh, burns the crap out of you if you don't cover yourself in lotion. Fair. That sounds fair, especially if you're fair. You like that pun? That's that's your pun for the end of the day. So thank you very much for having dinner with us. Uh, enjoy the rest of your evening. Good night. See you next time.